COVID disinfected 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Oil Changer Studios. Welcome back to Sports Talk. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We've been here the last week. While everybody else is, uh, well, either out or working from home. Not us. Not anymore. That's for sure. We got three hours with you today, folks. Four to seven. We'll get to make up a little time lost when Minor Talk went to Twitter spaces last night because the whole radio station was getting sprayed down and disinfected, which what it meant for us was we weren't even allowed in the building last night from 10 to 1130. So... If you're wondering why was Minor Talk not on 600 ESPN El Paso after the UTEP-UT broadcast, now you know the reason. We weren't allowed in the building. So Adrian took to Twitter spaces with Sal and about 25 or 30 of their closest friends and had a pretty compelling 90-minute Minor Talk last night. That's exactly right. Um, hey, I, I would call I I like the description of friends because I think I would call anybody who joins Minor Talk our friends here uh, on the show. So I like that right there. Uh, really appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Like we had a lot of people switching over. Um, they they made the transition. They got on Twitter and they joined us. They uh, got a chance to request to speak and and they did so. Uh, it was a very lively show yesterday. Very uh, um, you know mixed opinions about this men's basketball team. And yeah, on one side, fans were saying that UTEP uh, you know is a lo- is kind of a far away from getting to where they need to be and some criticized the defense and lack thereof that they saw but on the other side a lot of minor fans were very impressed with what they saw the defensive prowess of the UTEP minors against a tough Texas team and all the potential that this team shows after just one game I want to play for you let's first go to Alex who's up here on minor talk he was actually at the game Alex how's it going I felt for like 35 minutes, A.B., UTEP spoiled the whole hype of that, man, because that building had zero energy. A very beautiful building, man, but uh, Joe Goldie, man, what what a masterful game plan he put together, man, to, to get that kind of disappointment on these the UT fans who were very quiet, like I said, for 35 minutes. Uh, impeccable game plan. Maybe not so offensively. I, I was looking at the 14 turnovers in the first half, but – I mean, man, you got to be encouraged just with the effort, uh, with the scheming that they did defensively. I mean, Texas was clearly the, the the longer, more athletic, quicker team, which really affect UTEP on the offensive end. All right, next up, let's go to Kevin, who's joining us next on Minor Talk. What's up, Kevin? UTEP covered the spread. That's awesome, too, man. I think, I think we all won some money today, which is awesome. But one thing I wanted to point out, man, I'm loving what I see from Zarek Onyema, man. That kid balled out today, man. Like, And honestly, seeing him from year one to year two, I see the progression, man, and it's it's awesome to see that kid just kind of grow into that starting role. Up next, we have Ronnie here on Minor Talk. What's up, Ronnie? Uh, what? Utah's guard play is horrible. Xavier Pinson gets cleared, you know, right as the season's about to take off for the Aggies, so that gives him a whole different, you know, look and a bit of sigh of relief. And so I just, I'm going to stand by it. Uh, I know that I'll get bashed just like I did when I did with football after the North Texas game, but whatever. I do not like their guard play, man. I, I don't like it. I just don't think it's skilled enough or special or dynamic in one area or phase enough that it will just automatically be that much better come January. Will the team be better? Will the kids be better? Absolutely. But I don't know if it's going to take the jump and the spike that you need to all of a sudden see it go on a 
five, six game win streak where you're beating in those five or six games, you know, the top three teams in your like, you know what I mean? Like when you- Next up here on Minor Talk is Hunter. Hunter, what's up, man? You know, he was saying he was a bit disappointed that the guards didn't get out in transition. That was by design. You think UTEP wants to get into a shootout with a with a team full of five-star recruits that get run out of the gym? That's by design. Their only way they had a chance to stay in the game was keeping it in the 50s. And they almost did that. I mean, if Texas wouldn't have shot 29 free throws, I think they do stay in the 50s. Because And I hate to make excuses with officiating, but anytime you take away the aggressiveness of one team's defense and you allow the other to be aggressive, that has a huge impact in the game. Next, we have Robert joining us here on Minor Talk. Robert, what's going on? I just think when it comes to the boom and the enemy all that last year, I mean, you heard Golding talk about it in his interviews. He always said, last year I knew coming off the bus I had 35 points in the bag. But I think this year he recruited to his liking, where it was much more balance and volume. You look at his Abilene Christian team that beat this Texas team. They didn't have that guy, those guys that needed to go up there and put up 19 and 20. They just had guys that just went up put their nice little – nine to ten different guys that they relied on i mean they don't this, this team doesn't need shamar Givens and tay hardy to put up 20 a game because they got guys like frazier and solomon who are aggressive in their own rights and they can go up put up nine to ten you know so imagine that you got four guys nice little 10 to 12 that's that's nice volume scoring right there and i didn't even mention their bigs that they have this group i can say they're a lot more aggressive and defensively i mean i don't even have to talk about that because they played really solid up next is Adam, who's joining us next on Minor Talk. What's up, Adam? Found a team that looks like they have an identity. It looks like um, they know what they're doing. Is it pretty? No, but man, I appreciate the fight. I appreciate the grit. I appreciate the rebounding. So it's it, it's Aggie Week. Um, I mean, it's going to be a great atmosphere on Saturday. I want I want ten plus in there. I mean. I don't see why we shouldn't get 10-plus in there. I don't see why we shouldn't have a sellout. All right, last up here on Minor Talk, let's get a full game breakdown by Zarek Onyema's dad, Kingsley Onyema, who joins us next on Minor Talk. Kingsley, what would you think of today? Listen, I've, I've been a lot of people have been calling me and texting me about how Zarek did and the team. But I mean, I'm all, for me, it's overall concept of the team. You know, you can, one person can win the game. It's all team effort. So... And um, what I told Zarek is get out there, give it all your best every time. Be honest with you, Zarek was the was a great three point shooter in um, in high school. He was the best. So, but I think th- when they recruited him, Coach Terry told him that no, he banned him straight up from shooting any three. So he told him that all he he's gonna do is the bigs role, which is you know rebounding blocking shots and rebounding and, and putting it back into the into the net, of course, but he didn't give him the opportunity to shoot threes. And I remember one moment, I think it was um, Tidus, Tidus Verhoeven. He made a three-pointer. So I was like, wait a minute. So some bigs could shoot three. So why not Z? That he he's used to in some games he met in high school or in AAU when he played his only AAU that he actually played he met about 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 seven threes in a in a game turned it over twice Hardy turned it over three times Solomon turned it over five times Frazier turned it over twice. And then you had Sibley turning it over twice, and a bunch of guys, a couple of guys turned it over once. They had 19 turnovers in the game, but 14 in the first half, which meant 
only five in the second half. They took a much better job of, of protecting the basketball. Listen, Adrian, I thought this game went exactly the way I expected it to go. A lot of defense. Um, I thought the officiating took guys out of the game in the first half. That could have made a big difference because when UTEP was able to play with their their starting nucleus uh, and they weren't in foul trouble, they were causing uh, Texas fits on the offensive side of the ball. Texas, you could tell, never really got comfortable even when they started running away late in this game. I like the way UTEP battled back. I like the way they were down eight with the basketball, uh, you know, past the midway point in the second half to try to make this even a closer game. And no, I mean, they're going to struggle scoring at times. And this was the 12th ranked team in the country. If UTEP tried to run with this team, they would have scored 110 points on them last night, just like they did to Arkansas. You can't play that way against Texas, especially when you're UTEP. You can't do that. You got to slow it down, try to take the air out of their sails, make it an ugly, grind-out basketball game where you hopefully you have a chance to win. And they did that. That was the strategy. I liked it. Do I think UTEP's going to play like this Saturday against New Mexico State? Absolutely not. I think they're going to run on them. And I think they're going to try to play uh, much more of an up-tempo style because they have those athletes. But against Texas, you had to play a certain way. And they did. And, you know, it gave them a chance. So, no, I, I first off, I'm not, um, I, I'm not um, upset, disappointed uh, at UTEP. If anything... I'm pretty excited because we've been spoiled the last couple of years with uh, Sule Boom. And last year, Jamal Bienemy. I mean, those guys scored every single game they scored. And now, you look at the lineup last night, one guy in double figures, and that was Z. Other than that, look, nine for Frazier, nine for Hardy, eight for Givens, seven for Solomon, seven for Sibley, five for Kalu. Uh, get used to it. That, to me, is what we're going to see more of as far as UTEP goes. And you want to know something? Dos Anjos would have scored had he not uh, hurt himself. And now we don't know how long he's going to be out. If it's a torn MCL, that's probably about three to five weeks. So maybe he comes back before the end of the year. Yeah, that, that would be huge if they get him back. Because, uh, you know, to your point about not being, you know, disappointed or anything right there, I'm in the same boat. I, in fact, I feel encouraged just watching that game because of the fact that you got a chance to see this team battle through adversity early on into the game. It's not just losing Jonathan Dos Anchos. It's also uh, the fact that they were in foul trouble so early on into the game yep. and they could have let this one really, uh, you know, they could have let Texas blow them out. They could have uh, just lied down and, and put in all their reserves, watched Texas put in all their reserves as well and kind of lay down in that game. Instead, they fought hard. They fought at the end. They they cut it to single digit in uh, the second half. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the guard play, as far as just the, the play in general, I feel like there's no entitlement on this roster right now, the way it's built. And the fact that you can have uh, guys like Otis Frazier start ahead of Jamari Sibley, that tells me it's a clean slate. That tells me no one has, um, you know, earned or, or you, you know, kind of, I guess, been given their position or starting job. In fact, you've got to earn all your minutes on this UTEP basketball team. Texas brought back three players from last year that were starters, and I think they had seven guys with experience. I mean, it's a, it's a top, it's it's really a, it's a top ten team. It's a team that if they don't go deep into the tournament, it's a disappointment. UTEP is playing with an entirely new roster, minus three guys, 
Um, and even though they're veterans and they have experience, hey, you're playing together. New system, new style, new coach. It's going to take time. It is. I don't think anybody expected UTEP to beat Texas. And, yeah, I thought they would struggle offensively. They did. They got into foul trouble. That hurt. But ultimately, that defense, that intensity. And, and you notice that Texas scored their points when they were able to get out and transition and run and push it. But when UTEP got back, Texas had a tough time. UTEP was in their face the entire game, Adrian, all the way till the end. Yeah, and they really had to rely on their their veterans. I mean, you mentioned some of the returning players who really uh, made a difference. How about uh, former Big 12 freshman of the year last year in Tyrese Hunter, who had 18 points? They needed all those 18 points in order to beat the Miners, same way they needed Serge Jabari Rice's 14 off the bench. Uh, he's been a UTEP killer since he started college. So, I mean, it's guys who've been there, guys who've done this at the highest levels. Those are the guys who are having to beat UTEP versus, you know, some of the newcomers that they had. And, and uh, UT hey. relied on other veteran players. Marcus Carr shot two of eight from the field. Uh, Timmy Allen shot three of seven from the field. They did a good job on those guys. Those are those are potential NBA players. They did a good job on. Yeah, and look at uh, speaking of NBA players, look at a potential lottery pick in Dylan Mitchell. Four points on two of two shooting. He had uh, he played in 19 minutes. Really couldn't do anything in that game at all. Uh, I was very you know I was not impressed whatsoever in him, and he could be a top 15 pick. Oh look, if you want to talk about it, we'd love to talk about it with you, especially in our first hour. 505-6009. That is our telephone number to get started on the show today. Let's go to Charlie One, get our first traffic update. We got a good one for you over the next three hours. All right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk 22 past the hour. 505-6009 gets you into the show. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter, on Facebook, and online at 600ESPNElPaso.com. Adrian and I are working on a pair of stories on UTEP basketball. He's got a 10 uh, takeaway story. I'm writing one right now about how the UTEP front court outshined the guard play last night in the loss to Texas. By the way, I don't expect that to be the everyday norm. It just worked out like that last night. I'm not down on Shamar Givens or Tay Hardy. Uh, they'll be fine. In fact, I think that uh, you know most games uh, you will see that they are exactly what they should be. Experienced vets who will lead the team on and off the court and be able to score points when you need them. But last night, hey, Texas, they had a lot of size, a lot of athleticism. And this is one of the best teams in the country right now. It's simple as that. They're 12th in the nation, okay? And, they're, and they've got a lot of guys back. And some of their newcomers, you know, hey, Adrian brought it up last segment. Serge Jabari Rice killed UTEP the last couple of years. Killed him. He's coming off the bench. That tells you something right there, all right? So, um... Did I see enough to feel good about New Mexico State? Absolutely. Do I think UTEP's going to play the same way against the Aggies? Heck no, I don't. They're not. This is not a throwback Don Haskins team that you're going to see from Joe Golding. He'll play different styles based on different opponents. And when you've got the Texas Longhorns in their new building, ranked 12th in the country, and they just put 90 on Arkansas in an exhibition game, and beat them by 30, you have to slow the ball down. It's the only chance you have. And it kept them in the game. And as far as I'm concerned, hey, mission accomplished. Was it ugly at times? Absolutely. Did they struggle to score? Absolutely. Will that continue for the um, next couple months? Absolutely. 
It is. They don't have Sule Boom. They don't have Keontae Kennedy. They don't have Jamal Enemy. But you know what they have? They have a lot of depth and a lot of balance. And I'm okay with that. And they're not going to have to rely on the same two or three guys to score every time they need a basket, Adrian. I felt like the past, uh, I would say, three, four years, dating all the way back to when they had Bryson Williams, and even before that, I mean, when you just saw this team and how it was built with like guys like FEO, DG, Jordan Lathan, Nigel Hawkins, the, the offense at times felt so one-dimensional. Yep. So it's kind of interesting to see the Miners shift it up, switch things up in that regard, and you're seeing more balance when it comes to scoring. Now, I, I think there are going to be games down the season where they're going to really struggle to score. Like They're going to have nights where they shoot under four. 40%, oh, yeah. you know, un- under even 35% abysmal shooting games. But then you're going to have a- occasional nights where the Miners are going to really show what they could do, like the potential they can do in scoring. And I thought last year it took all the way up into about the January point for the team to kind of make that turn, turn the corner offensively and try to find an identity. Maybe it's the same with this group. They, they might need time to gel and find that identity on offense. And, totally. Uh, and-, and, you know, I think that they're going to find some of these guys. There- there's some potential there. I got a buddy who's a huge Texas fan. Lives in Houston. Um, known him for uh, forever. And he was watching the game like we all were yesterday. And his takeaway at the end of the game was pretty simple. He said, um, Texas is going to get whooped by Gonzaga if they play as loose with the balls they did last night. Turnover's big but it's the first game. Then he said, UTEP is going to win a lot of games in conference this year. Tough team. That was his takeaway. And he's a Texas diehard, okay? Knows pretty uh, pretty good what uh, Chris Beard has. But that was his reaction. A lot of conference games, tough team. They are. That's their identity. They are going to be a tough team. They're a defensive first team that's going to go in your face, make you uh, make mistakes. They are rebounded Texas, by the way. How many times the last couple of years we watched UTEP get killed on the glass and it drove you crazy? This team out-rebounded Texas Tech in their scrimmage. They out-rebounded Texas last night. I got news for you. They're going to out-rebound a lot of their opponents this season. They, They all can jump for the basketball. Yeah, they're very aggressive, and it seems like, well, first on the defensive side, only allowing five offensive rebounds for the Longhorns, that's huge right there. They're not allowing any of those second-chance points, only four yesterday for for the Longhorns and what they were able to do. So I like the fact that UTEP really showed what they did on defense. I feel, I already feel like Joe Golding could trust his defense, and, and he wasn't like, you saw him be really intense on the bench, but when it came to the defense, it looked like he was kind of quiet. He, was, he, yep. he trusted this group and what the game plan was. So if he's able to... Uh, let this def- or take this defense to another level from last year, that means really well for this group. The, the offense will come along at that point. 100% agree. 100% agree. Let me check the app right now. This came in from Robert uh, just a little while ago. Hey, guys, with the three stars that left UTEP, they didn't give us a championship. I like this team with no entitlement. What's the situation with Mario McKinney? Okay. Um, here's what I know about McKinney right now. He's on the team, away from the team right now. They expect him back probably, I would think, in the next couple of weeks. But, um, no, he is there really the situation with, with Mario McKinney right now is he's, uh, he's away but still in very good standing with the team, and hopefully UTEP will have him soon. No details yet as to why he's away, but there is no real reason for minor fans 
to uh, to to be too concerned at the moment with McKinney. Yeah, actually, Joe Golding provided a really interesting update after the game last night. He mentioned that uh, he expects Mario McKinney as early as today, tomorrow, or Thursday, wow. and could play as early as Saturday against the Aggies. Now, a real interesting quote that uh, Joe Golding said about the situation, said that he believes, and in talking about Golding, said that he believes in taking care of their players, uh, that Mario needed time and space, and that he's still around and loves how Mario Mario's has progressed uh, during this time. Good. Very good. As we approach the bottom of the hour here on Sports Talk. Um, yep. And that was what Joseph Ortiz was writing about. Excited to see Mario play. How many people do you think show up for NMSU? Hey, UTEP wants a sellout. They want it, they want it full. And I don't know if they're going to get to a sellout, but I think they're going to get pretty close. I wouldn't be surprised if it's within you know 500 to 1,000 of a sellout, if not sold out Saturday. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. And knowing the TV schedule is what it is, and for fans who haven't looked, I mean, just just check out their, their schedule. Uh, not a lot of televised games this year. If you're a UTEP fan, you're going to have to watch them uh, at the Haskins Center or get Conference USA TV, one of the two. Yep, absolutely right. Uh, Conference USA TV. Why can't they just make it free? Seriously, why why can't they just? It's wave? already a cheap product. Come yeah, on, so so just waive the fee, and just give it to fans. Just give it to them. That's what I say. Bottom of the hour. Hey, uh, we got more uh, questions coming in on Twitter at six hundred ESPN El Paso on the phones as well. 505-6009. Here he is, Adrian Broadus, with our first bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Much. Here is Adrian at enemy win the number three. That's not you, by the way, with like a uh, like a like a side personality. Maybe, is it? maybe this is like I the mean, enemy version. Maybe this is the dark side version. I would. It would be really be cool if you had like an alter ego and you were posting on Twitter as a you know enemy win the number three with Adrian still using your yeah. name. I like uh, that. It's like it's like my uh, twin, evil twin brother or something like that, but I still use it as my own. So we'll assume this is a different Adrian, and he tweets the show, Steve, I know El Paso prefers blue-collar Haskins-style Hoosier ball. I prefer modern, high-scoring basketball. However, winning cures everything. If we continue to win 20 and go to the postseason tournament, I'll be happy. Uh, let me say this about uh, Haskins-style Hoosier ball. I don't think El Pasoans want that anymore. I'll be honest with you. When we watched that style with Tim Floyd, uh, fans grew tired of it. They did not want to see that anymore. They want they want the up-tempo style like you, Adrian. I would say that if you polled El Paso, they will tell you, hey, play to the best level of what, what it takes to beat the opposition. And if it means slowing the ball down against... Uh, high-powered offenses like Texas, so be it. But then when you got New Mexico State on Saturday, go run against them and go beat them at their own game. Hey, that's really the mark of a good team when you can play different styles against different opponents. I also feel like, you know, when when you bring this point up, fans, uh, be careful what you wish for, right? Because if you are somebody who says, oh, I would love to watch this team just run in space. Well, run in space in 2022 is a lot different than it was 10 years ago. I mean, yep. 10 years ago, that's you, you're running down, you're dunking, you're, you're uh, driving in for layups, and you're trying to draw some fouls. Nowadays, you're going up the court and you're chucking a 30-foot uh, jumper trying to make three-pointers, and if you miss, who cares? You're just going back on defense. 
defense and and getting there. You're just looking for the more uh, possessions. You're looking for more shot attempts in that case. And fans would hate. That. I I know fans would not like it if uh, UTEP's just shooting three balls uh, up and down the floor and trying to run it that way. No. And the truth is, this is not a shooting team right now. I mean, let's be honest. I watched enough UTEP yesterday. They they got their baskets when they went to the hole. That's really when they scored their points. This is not a team filled with great shooters. It just isn't. I asked Joe Golding on Saturday, who's your best shooter? He said Jamari Sibley. And that speaks volumes right now because nobody looks at Sibley and thinks he's a great shooter. Yesterday, Sibley hit one of the greatest circus shots I've ever seen to beat the buzzer. Um, but Sibley was three of eight yesterday, including one of four from three-point land. So that is not exactly what you would call sharpshooter material. But if Jamari Sibley, in the eyes of Coach Joe Golding, is the best shooter on this team, that tells you that Kevin Kalou, Otis Frazier third, Calvin Solomon, Shamar Givens, Tay Hardy, um, they're not going to get their points by jacking up threes. Uh, this is a team that is going to try to work in and get high-quality shots as they go to the basket, which is fine with me. You know, one of the things that somebody brought up yesterday during our uh, Twitter spaces is the fact that UTEP doesn't have um, a late game score. Like they don't, they're going to have to draw up a play sure. old school style and try to work it inside if they're ever in a late shot clock situation instead of relying on somebody to get you a bucket. I'll give you a good example. UAB has a guy to get you a bucket. It's Jelly Walker. You just drop a play for him. He'll go and get you that bucket when you need it late in the game. Sule Boom, I would count on him to be that guy. And how did UTEP season end last year? Steve. It was against Middle Tennessee where they needed a bucket by their by somebody, anybody to make a shot late in that game, and they didn't have that guy. So they need that person, whether it's uh, well, Shamar Givens who emerges or anybody on this team emerges, they need that guy to close out games. They had that guy. They just did not get the basketball into that guy's hands. Somebody else took the basketball who doesn't have that same ability, did not convert, and UTEP's conference tournament came to an abrupt end. That's right. That's exactly right. A, a poor shot selection, and you need the right guy. You, you need that undeniable guy who's going to hit that shot, who's going to take the shot at the late-game situation. And, yep. uh, and, and until UTEP gets that guy, I think that that's kind of that next step for this well, offense. But here's the question, okay? So when you have that guy, what happens on the other end of the floor? Everybody game plans against him. Exactly. Exactly. If you've got – and here's my thing. If you have four guys on the floor – who all feel like they can be that guy, that's not a bad thing, okay? Because there's two ways to look at it. If you don't have that guy and nobody wants the ball in a big situation when the game is on the line, you've got trouble. You better find one because that's a problem. But if you've got four guys that not might not be alpha males offensively, but all feel good with the ball in their hands, with the game on the line, I'm okay with that. Because what that means is the defenses cannot try to just take one player out like they would do with Sule because you've got three others that could still beat you. So, you know, it's to me that's not such a bad thing as long as they're not afraid to take the shot with the game on the line. 
Yeah, I think that goes back to our discussion about the entitlement thing. I think that maybe in previous years, two years ago, the and it's not a bad thing, but you had Bryson Williams taking that late game shot, for better or for worse, because he was the guy two years ago. And it, he was that undoubtedly guy. But now you don't have that entitlement for any of these guys thinking, oh, I have to be the one to hit the late game shot. No, you have balance right now as it is. I'd be curious to see if anybody emerges to be that kind of reliable scorer in yep. late game situation. I'm with you on that one. 505-6009. That is our telephone number. 39 now past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. So we got a lot more in store for you. UTEP Zay is in the house. Zay, you watched like we all did yesterday's game uh, against Texas. You tell me your takeaway, more positive or negative, depending on uh, the way you watch the game. How did you? How do you feel? Yeah, I feel happy. I feel um, I took a lot of good takeaways. I mean, you're not going to base, you know, you're playing against Texas and 12th ranked team, 10 new players. You're not going to put a lot, you know, some people are saying the offense is, is bad. No, you can't take so much away from this game because, like I said, I mean, it's Texas. You know, you got 10 new guys. I think the offense, it'll come together eventually. Um, the, I do think that, you know, UTEP is going to struggle late-game situations. Who are you going to give it? If, if you need a bucket, who's who's going to be that guy that will get you a bucket? I think that's the the biggest takeaway from this one is who is going to be that guy. I don't know if they need to have a guy like that, Zay. I don't even know if that's necessary. Like I just told Adrian, and I'll tell you the same thing, if you've got four guys that all feel like they can be that guy when given the circumstances and multiple guys come through in late games, that's great. I, I, uh, As much as I love Sule, because he was that guy, everybody in the building knew Sule was going to get the ball, including defenses when they would double him or triple him. So maybe not having that guy, but having multiple players that want to be that player could really ultimately be a good thing for UTEP. Well, was Sule really that guy last yes, year? Yes, he was. Okay, let's go back to that UAB game. UTEP needs a three. They're down by three. It's Alfred Hollins taking that shot. Was he that guy? Don't you want to give it to Sule Boom, you know? Yeah, but there, there, there's a lot. But listen, for one example against UAB, we could give you half a dozen examples when they were in close games and Sule was the guy. So, man, I do it every game. And, and you know what? Good for Hollins. That's what I'm saying. Maybe this team is filled with Alfred Hollins, guys that you would never normally think about, Zay, but could ultimately be that guy late in the situation so opposing teams can't key in on just one player. Yeah, yeah. I hope that there's, there's four guys on that court that think, hey, I can take this shot. But sure. it's, it'll come down to can those guys make that shot? You know, we don't know how good these guys are in, in those late-game situations. 100% agree. We'll have to find out. You're absolutely right about that. Terrific. 505-6009. Get you through to the show. Hey, if you watched last night's game and you weren't able to get on the Twitter Spaces edition of Minor Talk, want to hear from you. We've got awards to give out as well. We'll do that next. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. We go 11 in front of five as sports talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Our phones 505 6009. I did not expect UTEP to win last night. I was just hoping they would keep it close, make it fun, and give it everything they had, which they did. Okay. That 15 point score is not really indicative of how that game was, especially in the second half. Miners kept it to within about you know, 10 points or so for a good chunk, and then they cut it to eight and had a chance to get to six. But all of a sudden, what happened? 
think it was like eight in a row from Texas and it was back to a 16-point game. You know, it's real interesting. Uh, the Longhorns led by as much as 20 points. And then I started thinking uh, the degenerate gamblers out there ah, who got in on this uh, yes. last night. It was very interesting because a lot of talk was, wow, 21 points is a lot of points against UTEP. It could have very well been a, a blowout. It could have been a 25-point win for the Longhorns at one point in this game. It, it was kind of like a, a fork in the road kind of point of this contest. And the Miners just wouldn't wouldn't stop. This was like late in the game too. Like I, I think it was under six to go. Longhorns were really uh, distancing themselves in this game. Actually, it was at the uh, yeah, it was like at the six minute mark that the Longhorns led by uh, twenty points. But the Miners responded with some late shots and uh, they hit five three pointers in the third in the second half after going zero for four in the first. So yeah, it was it was an encouraging finish and, and encouraging the way that the Miners uh, simply wouldn't let down in that game. No, I'm with you on that one. Thank you for bringing the gambling aspect up. I hadn't uh, thought about that one in a while, but it's true. It is definitely true. Hey, we got awards to give out. Uh, Let's do it. Why don't we first uh, give out our hot hand of the game? And uh, that is something we do after every game as well. Uh, Who uh, was the recipient of the hot hand of the game? A lot of newcomers last night, Steve, and one of the newcomers uh, especially shined. Uh, We could have gone the Otis Frazier route in this game. However, I felt like he dealt with a lot of foul trouble in this game. So instead, we're going to give it to Tay Hardy, nine points on four of eight from the field. He hit a three-pointer as well. He also totaled three rebounds. And despite three turnovers, he forced a steal on defense. He also had a block in 32 minutes of action. Tay Hardy with a nice performance to start off his minor career. Love it. Our hot hand of the game brought to you by Wind Supply of El Paso. They have a number of preferred dealers who they've carefully selected for your champion heating and cooling needs. In fact, if you would like to find your preferred dealer that's closest to you, you can go to the Find a Dealer tab at windsupplyelpaso.com and choose from any of about a dozen preferred dealers at windsupplyelpaso.com. That's the Find a Dealer tab. How about our player of the game? This one goes to Zarek Onyema, who came off the bench. Kevin Kalu started. Uh, John, Voice of the Miners, John Teicher, broke that news to us before the game started uh, that Kalu would take the center spot. But I liked what Z did off the bench. Three of four from the field. Hit a three-pointer, which uh, his dad, Kingsley, talked about during minor talk, adding that to his bag this year. And uh, just gave the Miners a spark. Every time Onyema gets on the court, he gives the team a, a big spark. And uh, thir- 22 minutes of action, 10 points. Uh, very nice job by Our player of the game after each and every uh, basketball game is brought to you by Keats Southwest, leading the industry in precision metal stamping since 1958. In fact, if you are looking for custom products, Keats Manufacturing can do it for you. Assemblies, brackets, bushings, clips, uh, lead frames, metal stamping, shields, tooling, wire forming, and so much more. If you would like to get in touch with the pros at uh, Keats Southwest, just go online to keatssw.com. That's keatssw.com. And again, for the miners, they now have uh, about four days to get ready for New Mexico State and the Battle of I-10. And while UTEP was playing Texas, New Mexico State was uh, going up against, uh, I believe it was Western New Mexico last night. And uh, as you would expect, they easily 
handled. I'm uh, sorry, New Mexico Highlands is who they played in the season opener. Uh, final score was 101 to 52. Uh, this is a Division II opponent. So 101 52 was uh, the final score. And uh, for the Miners, uh, I know that they are excited about New Mexico State. It'll be a much um, I would say this, more even test for these two teams when they hook up Saturday night. Yeah, I got to give UTEP Zay credit for mentioning this last night during our spaces, but uh, New Mexico State brings in DeShondre Washington, who yesterday led them. He had 17 points and uh, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, a triple-double for the Aggies, six foot seven. And uh, if minor fans really remember his name, it's because uh, Joe Golding recruited him. He They wanted him to go uh, to, to UTEP, and instead Greg Heyer stole him away. He's six foot seven. Uh, Calvin Solomon going up against DeShondre Washington. That should be an interesting matchup. Should be some great matchups. So again, uh, UTEP New Mexico State Saturday night at the Haskins Center should be a terrific basketball game. When we come back, hour number two here on Sports Talk. Speaking of the Aggies, their women's soccer team won the WAC. We'll talk to the head coach of New Mexico State coming up at the bottom of our 5 o'clock hour as Sports Talk continues right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. An hour as we welcome you back to the program along with Adrian Broaddus and UTEP Zay. I'm Steve Kaplowitz here on Sports Talk. Again, working on articles now for the website at 600ESPNElPaso.com. Looking forward to having those done before we end the show. Still uh, two hours to go, and if you're just joining us, uh, we spent a good chunk of the first hour dissecting, slicing, and dicing UTEP's loss to Texas last night in the first-ever game at Moody Center, a game in which, you know, minor fans, I I really don't know what expectations minors fans had for last night's game. I'll be honest, really, what did you feel? For like last night. I mean, I don't know how many minor fans actually expected them to win. I thought play hard, be competitive, and give yourself a chance is about all I could ask for. They did that. Would I have liked the game to be a little closer? Sure. Do I wish it could have been, you know, single digits uh, in the final minutes? Absolutely. It just wasn't the way it was able to work out that way. By the way, it's so easy to blame officials. It really is. But I thought the officiating was terrible in last night's game. And Adrian, I don't know about you or Zay, but did you think UTEP was flopping as much in the first half as the officials believe when they were calling all those flops? Well, I hate that call, first off. It's the James Harden-Trey Young rule that was adopted by the NBA two seasons ago uh, to stop those guys from flopping off three-point shots when guys would contest it, and now it's trickled into college basketball as if college basketball needed more things for fouls to be called on. Uh, If you watch college basketball nowadays, there's almost zero physicality because the refs won't allow it. They won't allow that kind of physicality, and uh, this is ridiculous because this is not even being physical it's the the player simply taking a shot and sometimes falling and they're calling a flop shot they called it on Shamar Givens yesterday they called it on Tay Hardy yesterday they not Tay Hardy Malik Zachary and when they called it on Zachary he goes up to Joe Golding and Golding says you can't do that even if you're falling you can't do that and unfortunately that's just a horrible new rule that we're having to experience right now well I guess the good news for UTEP is They got so much of it last night, hopefully they'll know so they don't repeat the same mistakes for the rest of the season. Better to get it out of the way in one game, right? 
Yeah, it's so interesting because I think that now, like, the NBA has made this now uh, habitual for some players. Like, it's just a habit. Like, they watch Harden, they watch uh, Trey Young, and they're like, okay, well, if I'm taking a contested shot and I get slighted uh, even in the little, the littlest, littlest of ways, I'm going to try to fall down and draw the foul yep. because if I miss this, I want to go to the free throw line. I can't remember who for Texas, but I thought on, on Solomon's like third, second or third foul call in the first half, there was a Texas player that flopped. I mean, he took a body, but he he was he was moving, and then he and then he got the he got the offensive foul called on Solomon. And I mean, they could have called it the other way. That's that's my biggest thing about flopping is that you have to realize something that if you're gonna flop and or you're gonna use that call on the offensive glass, it should go both ways. And when guys are not fully taking the body. But trying to get the call from the official, sometimes uh, a block isn't enough. You should tee him up for a flop if that's the case. Yeah, that's why I don't agree with this uh, foul call even being implemented in college basketball because how can you be hypocritical and encourage guys to stay in the paint and take charges, which are mostly flops, let's be honest, and then you're on the other side, you're telling the offense saying, no, if you're if you're uh, falling down during your shot, that's going to be considered a flop and it's the other team's ball or you know, technical foul it would be assessed. You know, I hate that thing right there. I know it. I know it. Uh, Once again, if you want to tweet the show, you can. There's so many ways to get into the program today, by the way. So many ways. You can call in at 505-6009. You can tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. You can also get in by using our free mobile app, which allows you to listen to the program, call into the show, and then you have the ability to chat with us in real time during the program. I mean, that is as good as it gets. And our mobile app is brought to you by First American Bank. New to El Paso, but not the area. First American Bank, local since 1903. As we continue here on Sports Talk. So, again, would love to hear from you. Get your reactions from uh, last night. So that's uh, that's that's our first uh, big topic. And, and by the way, there was even a Monday night football game last night. That's something else we haven't talked about yet, because I know it was all UTEP for a lot of us here in El Paso. But Baltimore was playing New Orleans last night in the NFL. And, you know, we didn't really know what to expect. But what a domination. 27-13. The Saints did not look good at all in this one. And uh, Lamar Jackson was the story. In fact, 133 yards passing and a touchdown. Nothing special, but how about uh, Kenyon Drake's two touchdowns and 93 rushing yards? That was a big part of the offense for Baltimore. Yeah, they, uh, you know, a lot of fantasy owners who threw in Kenyon Drake. I, I think uh, Jeff Erickson talked about this last week with us, or two weeks ago even, uh, about the compliment of running backs that the Ravens offer and present. Uh, and, you know, Kenyon Drake, he uh, he gifted a lot of fantasy owners a, uh, a surprise right there. But I think the Ravens are kind of rounding out into form, and we've been waiting for this, right? Like, uh, the uh, the Ravens had been kind of inconsistent. They they had some flashes here and there, but you get a, uh, some turnovers yesterday. Your defense steps up. And and that's what it'll take for the Ravens to kind of take that next step. And uh, acquiring Roquan Smith at the trade deadline, that could prove to be a huge move for the Ravens as they push to try to uh, make themselves you know, known in the AFC. We're always talking about the Bills and the Chiefs out of the AFC. Well, the, the Ravens want to try to be that third team uh, that we talk about as well. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. After the Bills and Chiefs, you just kind of say to yourself, 
There's there's a lot more teams that are in the discussion than just Baltimore. You know, I'm looking right now at the AFC as it stands right now. And I'm not ready to put the Jets as the third team. Let's not go crazy here when it comes to that. But you start to look at who could be the third best team in the AFC right now. And Baltimore definitely at six and three, uh, you know, has has a stake to that. Miami at six and three is also really interesting. Um you know, and then you you say to yourself that the 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 Chargers are five and three, but they kind of drive you crazy, big time. Same with Cincinnati at five and four. Let's not sugarcoat this. And they're also now without, uh, you know, really one of their best players uh, in Chase for the next few weeks. So that's a problem for them. The Jets have a great defense, but I'm not ready to anoint them. Uh, top three, top four material yet in the AFC. They got a long, long way to go. So Baltimore, Cincinnati, KC, Tennessee will drive you nuts because uh, all they do is feast on a weak division, and then when it comes to the postseason, they disappoint. And it's pretty obvious right now that if you don't have Ryan Tannehill, that Tennessee team is very, very limited. Yeah, so then I think all signs might point to the Ravens being that third best team, and and they're on a three game win streak right now. That I granted, it's not the the greatest opponents they're going up against, and uh, this next stretch of uh, four games for the Ravens are all winnable games. Uh, they have the Panthers at home. They go on the road against Jacksonville. After that, then they have the Broncos at home and a road game against the Steelers. They could easily win seven straight games during that stretch if they're able to maintain this momentum that they've kind of picked up over the past couple weeks that's yeah, true that is very true you want to talk football with us we'd love to get it going with you as well 505-6009 or 600 espn el paso on uh, twitter meanwhile nfc wow look at the nfc east you know they could send three teams to the playoffs this year giants cowboys eagles could all go as a division winner and two wild card spots but then here's the question i have okay do you really feel great about Minnesota? Something always tells me with Minnesota that it might not last. Let's put it that way. And eh, Kirk Cousins went viral again, did something ridiculous that everybody on the Twitter world was talking about, and they got a nice, nice lead right now. They got a four-and-a-half game lead over Green Bay and Chicago. So the question is, if Minnesota blows this, that would be a really, really difficult thing for, for Viking fans to feel. But uh, Tampa Bay at four and five, Atlanta at four and five. You don't feel good about them. Seattle at six and three is maybe the best of the group, but it's Geno Smith. Are you ready to just buy Geno for a big playoff run? Which is why we go back to the NFC East, Adrian, and say, "Wow, Philly, the Cowboys, and the Giants." I mean, are, are, are a bunch of these teams pretenders right now, or are they really contenders? I think uh, for, when you look at that Eagles team, they're definitely a contender for the Super Bowl, and they should—they they are the odds-on favorite right now, and they should be. And when you're looking at the Cowboys side of things, I think their defense could get them to that level, but we still have to see it in the postseason. Now, when it comes to the Vikings, just doing some schedule checking on what the, what they've accomplished thus far, a win against the Packers, a win against the Lions, the Saints, the Bears, the Dolphins, the Cardinals, and the Commanders, 
Sanders. You'd probably say the the best quality win is Miami, but outside of that, uh, you're starting to uh, claw for some of those uh, significant wins for Minnesota, and they've got the Bills on the road next week, yep. uh, or this week, and they've got the Cowboys next week, followed by the Patriots and Jets. That's a tough four-game stretch for Minnesota. I don't know if that 7-1 record will be uh, you know, be able to maintain that at that point during this stretch, and uh, I could see them slipping just a little bit if Kirk Cousins isn't able to come through, which we've seen you know, in years past. That's their biggest problem, that, that he can only take them so far. But it's a nice team. I mean, let's be honest. They, got, they have offense. They have some defense. They're fun. Yeah, with uh, Minnesota, another thing that you have to be a wor- uh, you know definitely worried about is if their defense really rounds into form, and and they yep. they can run away with that division easily. I mean, uh, unless the the Packers re- come from come from the dead and c- turn back turn around their season, or if the Bears make a, a an amazing run at the, the end of this season with Justin Fields playing the way he is, I I see the Vikings easily running away with this. Isn't it funny how right now? The Bears and Packers are both three and six, yet Bears fans are super excited about Justin Fields, and Packers fans are ready to bring in Jordan Love because they've seen enough of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, this is such a interesting uh, polar opposites from both teams, but same records. Now with uh, the Bears, I've just been uh, floored by what we've seen from Justin Fields. They've really changed up their whole offense. They kind of run like the Ravens' offense now, Steve. Like with Lamar Jackson, they're running Justin Fields almost like Lamar. He's kind of that running back because he can and he can actually take those hits. That Dolphins game that could have gone either way. They could have beat Miami um, in that game at home and uh, in that Cowboys game. I think forty nine twenty nine is indicative of how close that game really was. So I've liked the way Chicago's played through this past stretch. Quarter past as we get going here on Sports Talk. More of your tweets coming in, phone calls as well, and we got a good conversation uh, set, set up about 15 minutes from now. We'll do that as well right after Charlie One, who's back with his traffic update. Nothing like uh, some deep tracks from Rush. Vital signs as we continue here, 20 past the hour on Sports Talk. 505-6009. That is our telephone number. Jeremy uh, Moss will join us at 6 o'clock. Excited about that. Meanwhile, New Mexico State's soccer team, the women, they did something that uh, is pretty special. They won the whack this year. Won the whack. And what's really more impressive to me, Adrian, is that this has been a slow build. In fact, you know, head coach Rob Bartz, uh, it's taken a little while for him to really get this program up to where he needs to be. But right now, you know, NMSU finds themselves in the NCAA tournament after winning the WAC. That's a big deal. That really is a big deal. Uh, defeating Utah Valley one nothing, uh, having a chance to do this. I, I'm sure. I mean, you know, for for uh, NMSU winning this at the soccer level, that's huge for them. A conference title now heading to the NCAA tournament. Uh, just hanging banners after banners with uh, with their athletic departments. Absolutely, absolutely. And by the way, what a story for Bartz. He started coaching a youth team, and then he started coaching a high school varsity team. From 1991 to 2003. Nice. How about that? Wow. So he rose up the ranks through the high school uh, you know, scene and, and probably the youth soccer scene. So I, I love those stories whenever you see that that and, and hear that kind of stuff. Yep. And now he's got himself uh, a team that's going to be playing in the NCAA tournament. So he'll join us uh, coming up here 
uh, at the bottom of the hour after SportsCenter. Meanwhile, uh, Chris Banks tweeted the show at ChrisBanks21. I worked the game last night, he tweeted, courtside, and the flop call was atrocious. I don't get how you can call that on a made jump shot. Refs were absolutely horrible all game. Other than that, the Utah Bigs look good. Our guard play needs work, but not bad overall. That comes from Chris. Yeah, if he was there courtside, he got a chance to see it himself, uh, and and he's calling it the way that, that uh, you know that it was a very questionable call. That just tells you. And you heard it from Voice of the Minor John Teicher and uh, Steve Yellen yesterday throughout the broadcast. They were questioning calls by the officials. I thought both teams were very aggressive. And if you're giving calls on one end and not the other side, that just shows you. Then if you're going to pl- let them play aggressive, let them play aggressive. Don't call all these fouls if you're the officials. I'm with you on that one. I am. 505-6009. Remember this, too. No Mario McKinney Jr. yesterday, and then Jonathan Dos Anjos hurts himself within the first um, you know minute or two of playing. He's out. And now we're hearing most likely, well, you hope, sprained MCL. You can come back from a sprained MCL. You really lose a whole year if you have a torn ACL. Big difference. A couple of years ago, Aaron Jones sprained his MCL, and I think he missed like two or three weeks for the Packers. I feel like he missed two games in a bye week, and then he came back the following week and looked good. So to me, you miss about three to five with a uh, sprained MCL, depending on the severity. And Adrian, that pretty much takes us into probably uh, early to mid-December. For a return, yeah, and that's tough, right? Because Dos Anchos was a guy who was not with the team uh, for the majority of the summer, so he already kind of had a late start. And then the first minute he plays, he gets injured. Now UTEP is going to have to do some positional changes that we're going to see early on into the season. Now they wanted to have Jamari Sibley play that small forward role at the three. He had been working on that all summer long, and because of this injury, I could see Sibley being you know, sliding back to the four spot either helping uh, out Calvin Solomon in relief or playing alongside Calvin Solomon through stretches. Well, I mean, look at yesterday's starting lineup. Kalou, Frazier, Solomon, Givens, and Hardy. I could see, you know, one thing about Joe last year, how many different starting lineups did he have for UTEP? It seemed like he had a ton of them last year. Yeah, but that was more by adversity and force, right? Because right. he had like a lot of injuries and players out of the mix, you know, the stomach bug and all that kind of stuff. So he did have a lot of different lineups. The one thing I'll say is he's not afraid to start guys. Like he, if it's Kevin Kalu who's worked hard over the offseason, if it's Zarek Onyema who he believes that sh- should earn more minutes, he's not afraid to throw any of these guys out there. In fact, I liked having Jamari Sibley, who's their most seasoned veteran on this team. I I liked him coming off the bench yesterday to spell Otis Frazier. Let me tell you something. I don't think Sibley cares if he starts or, or comes off the bench. If he's playing 30 minutes, that's three quarters of the game. I mean, nobody on the team other than Gibbons and Hardy played 30-plus. So, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to is they feel comfortable. And by the way, seven rebounds yesterday uh, for Sibley. So I know he didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but seven boards led the team in rebounding. 
Yeah, and if you're still getting seven points off the bench, that's production right there. And UTEP's going to need all the points they can get, whether it's off the bench or whether it's in a starting role by Sibley. Uh, I'm curious to see how his role uh, evolves throughout the year because if he goes back to the four position and you're trying to work in Jonathan Dos Anchos from that injury late December, early January when conference play starts, it might take him a lot longer to really feel comfortable in conference play versus uh, Jamari Sibley, who knows that position. I'm with you on that one. So, yes, exactly right. Again, you want to talk about it, any takeaways, now is the time to do it. You can also listen. Did we, did we put up the uh, Twitter Spaces version of Minor Talk as a podcast? Yes, we have. It's it's up and uh, you can download it wherever you get, you get your podcasts. Ah, very nice. Very nice. All right. Good to hear. Good to hear. And by the way, um, New Mexico State played last night. They destroyed New Mexico Highlands, beat them by 50 uh, and that is going to be a really good test for UTEP early on. I, I mean, listen, this year I think Miners Aggies has a chance to be really, really good. I know that the Aggies have more splash players, but there's just something about this UTEP team that tells me that um, you know Joe Golding. That's that's not what he. That, that's never really what he wants. He has a very specific type of player personality and skill set that he's looking for, and I feel that other than the true five. He has that this year with this team. I also feel like uh, he understands what this rivalry means to everybody here, and he doesn't want to lose again, which I, I liked that he mentioned uh, in his post-game interview uh, during the broadcast. He was talking about how he puts it on himself and this team. They, they're 0-2 against the Aggies. Uh, Greg Heyer, it's a new era of this rivalry, Heyer versus Golding, and now he gets to see uh, what, what both these teams could do. They play three times this year, potentially, uh, in, in a possible trilogy series, which is really cool as well. And it's right before these two teams become conference foes. You're not going to see UTEP, New Mexico State in November anymore. You're going to see it in probably January, February. I'm hoping that the Aggies break out that like blue road jersey tomorrow because they had the white with that blue and red last night. Looked awesome. I yeah. I love that. I, I'm I'm you know I'm all about cool looking jerseys, and I'm hoping that they they bust out the the blue ones. I don't know what they're going to do. They'll probably go black. They've done that before, or crimson. But I like that blue that they have. Yeah, that soft blue looks so yeah. nice. I mean, really, it's uh, they. If you can incorporate that blue in the jersey and actually even pull it off like the Aggies do, it's a it's a fresh look. So I, I would look forward to that. That if they uh, bring those jerseys here, college football playoff rankings just came out. Just came out. Here's your top six: Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU four. Let me repeat that. TCU 4, followed by Tennessee and Oregon. There is your top six. TCU is fourth in the latest college football playoff rankings. That is a big, big deal. Rounding out the top ten, LSU 7, USC 8, Alabama 9, Clemson 10. So there you go. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee. Oregon, LSU, USC, Alabama, and Clemson as we continue here on Sports Talk. So, uh, instant reaction to the college football playoff rankings. 
TCU at four. Wow, that was really? not that was not what I expected, Adrian. Man. Not at all. And Tennessee knocked out of the top four. Uh, very very interesting right here. But uh, that's the product of Tennessee dropping that game against Georgia. Now they'll be put in a position where maybe they go to that championship and try to uh, throw their name out there to to make themselves a top four team. But Ohio State Michigan uh, being a two and three seed, yeah, that, that sets it up for a huge rivalry matchup potentially late in the year. Tennessee did not look like a four. Against Georgia. No, sorry, they didn't. they didn't. They did not look like a top four team. They looked like a team that couldn't score offensively, couldn't move the ball, and they they looked outclassed. They looked outclassed by Georgia. Hey, college football playoff ranking giving a little love to Oregon, who shot up as well. Yeah, they did up to six. That's right. All right, uh, Rob Bartz is going to join us. We'll talk about his WAC championship team. But before we do, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. very much let's jump out right now to the 600 espn el paso hotline welcome in head coach of the nmsu uh women's soccer team he's rob bartz as the aggies find themselves uh, with a date against mississippi state coming up friday at two o'clock in the ncaa tournament in starkville coach first off good to have you on here in el paso and uh, congratulations on winning the WAC tournament Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate being on. And, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're super excited, ready to go. Rob, this is the first time since 2011 that the Aggies have had a winning season in soccer. You tell me, what has been the difference this year in uh, putting together such a uh, terrific uh, season in all, 13-4-3, and and then uh, winning the uh, the WAC tournament? Honestly, I think, you know, we, we finally, you know, COVID kind of, Stunted our ability to, to really bring in what we were trying to bring in. Um, our, our, you know, th- this group is uh, kind of my first full group that's mine and mine only. Um, the, the team chemistry within this group, the culture is fantastic. Um, it just kind of had the alignment of, you know, a, a great season like this. And, and, you know, did we think we were going to win the WAC? You know what? We didn't know. We, we knew we had a chance. We knew we could compete. And, you know, we're, we're playing on all cylinders at the right time. Did you feel like the win over Cal Baptist in the first round of the WAC tournament, that double overtime win, really kind of gave the team that, that shot that they needed just to energize through the rest? Because every single match was one nothing. You beat Seattle uh, two days later, uh, 1-0, and then... On Sunday, uh, the number one seed, Utah Valley, same score, 1-0. So you tell me, how big was that double overtime win and really what it meant for the team the rest of the uh, rest of the WAC championship? Oh, for sure. It was massive. I mean, here's the thing. We, we just finished playing CBU at CBU three days before that and beating them at their place, and then you turn around and have them again. Um, you know, that's it that's a recipe for disaster. And, and, and our girls stepped up and, and battled through and, and got the win. And uh, the second we got that win, I knew we were, we were a dangerous team. And, and mostly because of what you just said, we're tough to score on. Like we are tough to score on. We have a great back line and a phenomenal keeper. And we knew we were going to be in every game. You took over the program in January of 2018. And you said it best. This is the first time you've really had a roster filled with your players and you're starting to see the results. Um, 
you know, sometimes coaches don't want to really talk about the rebuild efforts, but was this really for you a complete rebuild in trying to take the, uh, the, the roster you inherited and form it to the team you have right now? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It was a, it was a definite complete process of, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you can change what another coach has done in the past and you can kind of manipulate that a little bit. And other times you you just have to move on and and kind of play it through. And, and, and that's kind of what we did because the culture that, that I've come from coming up from Portland and, and coming down here has been, uh, just a different mentality. And so we had to change the entire mentality of the program, let alone a couple of the players that are there. So it's kind of, you know, I think even those players that are alumni of ours now, I think are super supportive of what, what's happening because they see it. They see what we were talking about. I think when we first got there, they thought we were lunatics. Um, and now they're, now they're kind of going, oh, it does make sense what they're talking about. So, yeah, it was definitely a complete process and a complete, uh, complete overhaul. Rob Bart's with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Well, before New Mexico State, you were at San Jose State, and you led them to their first Mountain West championship in the regular season, uh, which tells me not only have you been able to win, but you win at traditionally difficult spots. San Jose is not an easy place to win in any particular sport, especially knowing who's in that league. So one thing I love about Mario Mocha, he seems to find coaches that – that he knows can can win in Las Cruces, and you know, tell me a little bit about what you were able to do in San Jose prior to getting to Cruces, and how how it sets you up for uh, for the opportunity to jump here. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, here's here's what I here's what I tell recruits: You're coming to play for me. I just happen to be in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and in Las Cruces, New Mexico, we have everything you ha- you need to succeed. Our facilities are fantastic. Um, our administration is supportive. Um, your coaching staff's going to be, you know, one of the best that you can have. And, you know, I think that's the, the hardest thing is, is, is recruiting to those areas. I mean, you said it, San Jose State was, was, wow. I mean, incredibly difficult to, uh, to recruit to. When you have your athletics a mile off campus, it seems so disconnected. And, you know, that, that was a tough place to recruit. I actually felt like San Jose, or San Jose State was tougher to recruit to than than actually New Mexico State. Um, you know, you deal a little bit with close to the border, all that yep. stuff. But to be fair, I think it's just it's we have everything we need, and we just always recruit to come play for us, and it's worked out quite well. You got your start coaching high school for more than a decade, Rob, and you coached boys high school. So, what made you decide <laughs> to take the switch and go from coaching boys soccer to girls? What a great question. I actually, so in, in Oregon, you can't coach the same sex in high school and in club. So you can't do uh, women's soccer and in high school and women's soccer in club. And so I was a women's soccer club coach as well as a, a male soccer high school coach. And then when I trans- transitioned out of playing professionally and went back to University of Portland, we were a combined program. So we coached both men and women. So I had, had the best of both worlds through that whole time. 
um, and then to transition to strictly to the women's side. Wow. Well, listen, uh, the results are obvious. Uh, you mentioned just being able to develop it with a great defense and, and really, uh, you know, the, the defense getting it done. But you have enough offense to get the goals. And sometimes all you need is one, right? It's great to have multiple <laughs> goal scorers. But, hey, if you keep winning one nil, you'll, you'll take that every time. I'll take that all day long, sir. I believe it. Tell me about uh, about your goal scores. We talked about the defense a little bit. Who are some of the uh, sure. players on the Aggies that are that are able to put the ball in the back of the net? Yeah, we, here's here's the other best part about our group is, I mean, we have multiple goal scorers. Um, you know, I think sometimes when you see a team that has a player that scored, you know, 18, 17, 18 goals, it's like okay, we got to hone in on her, and you can do that. When we have multiple players that. You know, we have a player at eight, eight or nine goals, another player at, you know, five or six goals, and another player at five or six goals. You know, it's all over the place. So you got Loma McNeese, which is, she's scored some great goals for us. Bianca Chacon, who's a local El Paso girl who's been phenomenal for us in not only scoring, but in assists. And, you know, we have Lolly Hernandez, a, a girl out of uh, Phoenix, who is, you know, just a, a tremendous little midfielder that has scored a lot of goals for us. And then we've had just numerous goals from numerous players. I bet you we have another 10 players with one or two goals. So it's all over the, 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 the park. So we're, we're very much so uh, team, I call it team goal oriented. It can come from anywhere. And the way we play, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a forward. Our, our outside back is the one that scored the game winner against Cal Baptist in overtime. Well, all I know is this. A right back. I'm looking right now, Rob, at this season for you. So many clean sheets. That's terrific. You haven't given up many goals at all this entire season, which is so impressive. How do you take that momentum into Starkville Friday and uh, go up against the SEC power Mississippi State? Yeah, exactly what you're saying. I mean, our mentality is no goals. We have a, we have a, a mantra in our locker room, no goals. No one scores on us. And you know, when you do that, you always give your offense an opportunity. If the offense feels like they have to score three or four goals, you're not going to win a lot of games. If you give your offense that feeling like you only have to score one goal for us, we'll do the rest, you win games. And, and then what ends up happening is you get that one, more times than not, you get two or three. And, you know, in the middle of the season, we were getting, you know, multiple games of, you know, three or four zero. And it, it just was started from one zero halftime leads. And I think uh, the other thing that we looked at is, is if we're going into halftime at zeros with our team, we're in a tremendous place to win this game. Your roster is filled with a terrific amount of young players, so it seems like right now you're going to get the majority of your roster back for next season. That is correct. We get uh, we lose uh, um, three players for next year, two starters. Um, so we'll be in a, we'll be in an excellent position. We lose our goalkeeper, who's a phenomenal goalkeeper. But we also have a um, a young lady out of Germany that's spectacular that we've been able to redshirt this year. So um, that'll be fantastic having her next year. McKenna Gottschalk is who you're talking about, correct? Yes, sir. Tell me a little bit about her. She's a real deal. She's uh, she's extremely athletic, tremendous leader. Um, she's our she's one of our team captains. Um, she is she's that that goalkeeper that says. I want you to block shots and do your job. And the moment you don't get your job done, I'll be there for you. And she has done that time in and time out for our team. And, you know, I'm so happy for her to be the MVP of the WAC tournament. She, she deserved it. And she was, 
in all fairness, I had hoped that she would get the WAC goalkeeper of the year for the season, but unfortunately she came in second on that one, but uh, um, she was fantastic. Coach, best of luck Friday against Mississippi State. Terrific having you on the show, and uh, congratulations on what's been such a great year for you and, and, and for your Aggies. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, look forward to chatting with you guys again. Absolutely. He's Rob Bartz, folks, uh, head coach of the NMSU uh, women's soccer team here on Sports Talk. 43 passed. Back with more right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. Third and final hour underway. Is it true that this is like a, uh, a an annual uh, story with our guest that we like this is like a, a tradition on Sports Talk around this time every year? I think it's like an unofficial tradition, but I think yearly we bring on Jeremy from Mountain West for Wire to to talk about uh, expansion, to talk about UTEP, and if they're ever going to be involved in this. And it's just uh, the circle, the runaround. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to book our, our next uh, appearance mm. with Jeremy next year already. Jeremy, is it like Groundhog Day for you on this show? Is that the way you feel really more than anything else? You're like Bill Murray? Yeah, I got a script right, right out, ready to go. So I know the questions are coming. So I got my exact layout. What's coming here and when? <laughs> it's so perfect. It is so perfect. Well, look. Um, the funny thing is, the San Diego State story to the Pac-12 broke yesterday. I guess, and Dan Patrick was talking about it, and we're hearing that by the end of the week it could become official. And we had heard rumblings about this, but it's so weird since we really don't know what the Pac-12 is even going to look like when the smoke clears. Yeah, it's the worst-kept secret they're wanting to get teams. But, like, hearing that, I'm like, okay, he's a big-time guy, but it's like, no offense, like, I work in radio, you guys as well, lots of stuff. Like, if you're going to hear realignment news, he's, like, the last guy to ever hear it coming from. However, I do write an article about it, so I get thousands of page views and I'm like, cool. But, like, he – no, he doesn't know anything when it comes to this type of stuff. You want to go to the John Wilner Comzano, you want to go to somebody maybe in San Diego, like um, guys down there potentially, but it's never, uh, well, never is a strong word, but it's not going to come from a guy like that. And specifically when you watch the clip or show, it's like, okay, we're going to some break or some random thing. I'm like, that's kind of a big deal for expansion, not necessarily San Diego State said, oh, that, but the Pac-12 is getting a team. and But it's well known that they're looking at, San Diego State, looking at UNLV, maybe Boise State, Fresno State, all these teams like SMU, Rice, like whatever, like they're looking at lots of teams. They're just a team that happens to be geographically geographically sound to sort of kind of be in the neighborhood down the street, less the, not the million dollar homes, but the $600,000 homes from UCLA and USC. But it would never, it would not surprise me if they go to the Pac-12 because they make sense for what the Pac-12 wants to do. But hearing it from that guy, I'm like, fine but like within 12 seconds like nope 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 november 17th regents meeting all this stuff tv deal first so it's uh it's not happening this week and okay. i kind of knew but i still went with it because i told i put caveats hey look who it is this guy's not a reporter and not an insider for expansions pactful media or san diego state so that's exactly i was the same boat i'm like if dan patrick's actually going to take time on his own show to be bringing it up then maybe he's got something there otherwise why even waste your time because like you said other than maybe some reaction around the area, everybody else is probably thinking, wait, why aren't we talking about uh, the bigger stories right now with the college football playoff and what we've got coming up? Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, he had a guest coming up. Like, oh, if I know this, typically. Like, he's been burned. Like, the, I dreamed some awful announcing put up. It's kind of like the also tradition sort of like, oh, the playoff's going to expand definitely this year or Big Ten's not going to do football or this. And, like, he probably knows something, but – 
give you something that specific, it's like, plus this time of year, it's not going to happen. Like, I know early in the year, like right before the season started, the Pac-12 stuff happened with Oregon, Big Ten, or not Oregon, excuse me, USC, UCLA, Big Ten, or Texas o- OU the year before. Summer, it's like, there's not going to be a mid-season, hey, we're adding this team. It's They're too busy. The president's AD, has got a lot more going on than figuring out what dang conference are going to be in in five years. You know, it's funny. One thing I will say about this whole story is that if by some chance the Pac-12 can keep everybody else together, which is probably a long shot, Jeremy, but if it happens, one of the, uh, the I guess the teams that I was told could make the most sense would be the aforementioned Aztecs at San Diego State and possibly Fresno State. And then you've kept the whole California program Profile. And even though I've never really looked at Fresno as like a school uh, of terrific value, maybe they are the uh, the second team that kind of keeps the pack uh, at 12. It could. It's also, they don't need these two teams. It's like some guy, like Twitter's whatever it is, but Aztecs are bringing $20 million. If they're bringing $20 million, they're going to independent today and making triple what BYU made it independent. Why is BYU going to the Big 12? You make so much more money. So I'm like, come on, people. But Fresno kind of makes sense just because uh, they're obviously really good at football. Location, it, they put out that gra- some graphic on Twitter like right before the season started or whenever the uh, Big Ten stuff was going around with those teams. Hey, we're getting X million people. It's like, well, technically in Sacramento, there's more Reno people from Nevada than is to a Fresno State fans. And so they're stretching the truth like everybody does. But there's talk of UNLV probably because where George Klickhoff is before with MGM and all the stuff he's been part of the entertainment industry. And it's a growing area. But I, they honestly, if there's no reason, unless it's a Big Ten calling, the Big Pac, or the, excuse me, Big Twelve can't bring in these two schools and make thirty-five million per year. Like if it's within three million dollars, either way, why, why go? Do you, I know there's a travel issues with the Big Ten now, but do you want if you're Oregon to go to Orlando for a random game, go to Morgantown? Do you want to go to Houston? Do you want to go to all these places far, far flung across the country? For four million dollars, you burn through that money in five seconds. Jeremy, when we're talking, you talked about uh, priorities, kind of like the the priority list for uh, these presidents, the universities. O- on the flip side, with the Pac-12, it seems like their priority is just securing that media deal and, and the TV rights partnership. Why is that so important for them to finish that first before looking at expanding? Probably, it's kind of what the Big 12 did. They want a baseline worth of money because the Big 12 could have gotten more if they waited for a year plus. So it kind of helps and hurts the Pac-12. I think they want to show numbers like, hey, Oregon, hey, Washington, hey, whoever, the corner, four corner schools, here's what you're getting. So that they know the Big 12 kind of did them a favor, but not really, but we know how much they can get. So thing in the ballpark, that says, here's what you're worth. When we know what the Big Ten could get, it was $75 plus million, but there's also the thing, does Oregon, Washington bring that amount to them? Or do they want to make a full West Coast swing with Cal and Stanford as well to keep all those rivalries along the lines with the big weekend for Cal, USC, UCLA, Stanford, those big weekends? But I think it's to show them a proof of concept. Here's what we have. Here's what you're worth. Here's what we're worth. And if you think about it, because there is all this stuff with Texas and OU leaving, all oh, they're worth 50% of the value, which I felt was overblown by I think it was Bob Bowlesby, the, uh, I believe it was him. But I just, and they still got a couple more million dollars than what they are getting before. Not a lot more, but they didn't decrease. So I think it's just show them, here's what we can get, here's what you're worth, here's what we're bringing in. And the only way they're leaving is if the Big Ten comes or SEC or something weird happens. But it's just to show them what they're worth and then yeah. go from there and see what happens. That's why they want to do it. It depends with who. you got ESPN out there, obviously. They are majority owners with with uh, Big 12, now Fox's Lester. So I don't know what they're going to do for TV-wise, but it seems to be ESPN or Amazon. But Amazon doesn't want to have 
Does Amazon want Stanford, Arizona? No, they have the NFL on Thursday night. They want big-time games. They have some Premier League soccer. They have Yankees on there. They don't want garbage games at the bottom that the Pac-12 Network currently gets. So that's a thing to work through as well. Jeremy, it's so interesting because to me, if the Pac-12 ends up getting a very nice, lucrative, large media deal, then ultimately the schools that were looking to leave, whether it was the Big Ten or the Big 12, might say, you know what? Bigger pie for us to split here. Let's stay put. We don't need to go. Plus, it might be an easier route for them to try to get into a playoff than have to go into a much tougher league like what uh, they could be facing in the Big 12 or the Big Ten. Yeah, that's a. I think Kevin Warren and Great and Sankey were like they don't want to implode college football to be like the EPL or like they only get Manchester United or whatever soccer teams are great. The top three, the Super League, they're trying to do. They realize they want people from your neck of the woods, UTEP, they want them to have a chance. If they win their conference, there's there's a possibility to get there. But if it's two leagues of 22 teams each, nobody's going to want to watch, even if it's an Oregon-USC or Oregon-whoever decent game in Penn State or Illinois that's a pretty solid team that one year. I'm not going to care out here. I'm like, what, what do I give – anything about what's going on for these type of games. But if your team's in it, like we're sitting here in November, the player ranking just came out. Oregon's on the cost. They can get in if they keep winning. USC, same thing. They keep winning. They can get in. They realize if it's spread out for the playoff purposes for six uh, automatic bids and the to get in for a conference champ for a big-time conference, whatever that means nowadays, it's better for the sport to watch a random game next weekend when you have like Utah and Oregon play in two weeks. That's that's a pretty big game for two, possibly assuming both win top fifteen teams, top ten possibly. Oregon, there's stuff something on the line to get to the conference title. So if you know if you win, you're one step closer to getting the playoff just by winning your conference. You don't have to be literally perfect. And so I think that's a smart thing they did to keep the playoff with Craig Thompson and Sankey and those other I think Forbrook was with it from Notre Dame, the four play, four person group. But it's a big deal. If the, if it's easier to get the playoff to get more money, get more exposure, helps the sport overall whether you're from a lower-level ACC team that's, like, trying to get in and or Mountain West or whatever, WAC school, or I guess not the moment, not WAC, but, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. Conference USA, trying to get in the Americans to get a spot. It keeps more people interested because if, essentially they eat themselves. If you want more money, you want more people to watch. And not everybody's going to want to watch four Big Ten and three SEC teams in the playoff, whatever it is going on. They want more people to watch and keep it more interesting and have a chance to actually win, even though it's a farce for 96% of teams to win a national title at this moment. Jeremy Moss joining us from the Mountain West uh, Wire. You can check him out online at mwwire.com. That's mwwire.com. You can also follow Jeremy at uh, Jeremy Moss on Twitter, M-A-U-S-S, and Mountain West Conference Wire, M-W-C Wire, two very good follows as well. You know, I'm looking at the standings this year in the Mountain West. It's been a weird year, Jeremy. It really has because from a conference record standpoint, Boise State's doing what they always do. They're undefeated. Wyoming is 4-1 and one in the Mountain Division. In the West, you got Fresno and San Jose tied at 4-1, and one each with uh, San Diego State at 3-2, and two, just a game back. But it just seems like there's no true dominant team in the Mountain West this year. There's just a lot of parity with about four or five or six teams all capable of beating each other. Yeah, it goes back to non-conference. There's no big-time wins. There's no, like last year, San Diego State beat, beat Utah or Fresno beat New Zealand or Rose Bowl. There's been none of those. There's been a couple close ones, but nothing good like that. Like, Boise State's been better. Defense is really, really good. 
else to um, BYU's past weekend, but it's it is a lot of interesting. Like Air Force is really really good. Their three losses and happen to be all in conference play. Fifteen points. They still could be the best team in the conference, or, or just about the best team, or make a case to make put them in the top couple. I honestly still think in Fresno, it's not close when they're fully healthy. Like they took it to Hawaii, which Hawaii is not very good. But now they have Jay Kaner back, uh, Moreno Cropper back. They have Jordan Mims back. All these guys back offensively, and a couple of defenders back as well in secondary. They're my pick to win it all. But yeah, it's like I think part of it is like, oh, it sucks. It's not good. It's it is down for a bit because and you look at non-conference, nothing big has happened. Like Utah beat up on Boise State and they turned it around and somehow they, but they're not doing good non-conference plays. What perception is because if you're not good non-conference, who cares if you're undefeated like Boise is or one loss in league play, like Fresno and San Jose State. There's some good football, but the overall records don't look great because they couldn't do anything in non-conference play. It's not nearly not as good. But yeah, their last couple weeks will be interesting. Who can get in? But like Wyoming's a bit surprising where they're at. But yeah, it's just it's it's been fine. But I still would lean Fresno when they're 100 percent out there. I don't think anybody can touch them. Uh, Jeremy, going back to just the the possibility of you know when when we're looking at the trickle effect, what could happen between the the Mountain West and the Pac-12? If the Mountain West were in a position where they needed to acquire more universities, are you a fan of the model that Conference USA took in trying to bring up some FCS opponents to becoming FBS, or do you like the a uh, the American Athletic Conference model, the Sun Belt model? Where they just grab teams out of the group of five who are already at that FBS level. There's a geography restriction for the Mountain West. Obviously, out west, there's only two football conferences, and then you have New Mexico State and you guys UTEP that are out there, but different um, positions and league-wise. Uh, like, there's been always talk Montana, Montana State, but I don't think they want to do it or have the infrastructure. Well, probably infrastructure, but a big enough fan base to make it worthwhile. I've always been like, if they want to do it, like, first, I think they're good enough to, like, I've always said get SMU in Memphis or some Texas schools, UTSA, if, possible, if that could work, just because they're how they've been playing. But geography is a matter, too. It makes a, makes a big difference. So, like, heck, I, you want teams, you want some point to bring teams that are bring value. But FCS, there's, like, two teams, North Dakota State, that's a big travel, and that's big deal for them. They're kind of far away. But I, it's, it's like, who's out there? Like, what – Geography-wise, New Mexico State and UTEP are fine. They're right in the area. They're better than fine. UTEP, most of these comp teams have played everybody in the WAC back in a long time ago. Like, we'd always yeah. – when I, Utah played the UTEP, Albuquerque, swing, it's like, all right, hope we can get one and one against someone. You had Rick Majerus and running the – with the running Utes and Keith Van Horn and Andre Miller. It's like, can they win? We'll see. That's a tough road trip to do. So there is historical relevance there to bring that team in. And geography-wise, New Mexico State – and if it's just football, there's not much out there. But I think go swing hard, and Craig Thompson's gone. Who knows going to be back, what they want to do. But that would be my choice. Get a couple of Texas schools, try to get SMU and Memphis because they seem to do well. And then get, if they want to go, depends who leaves also. It's kind of who leaves and where. But, like, I, I'm not opposed to bring UTEP. I know their value is not ideal and great, but they've improved a bit in football. But the portal killed them with guys going to Arizona, which really is crappy on that oh, I can get the call up, I'm a great receiver, and go tear it up in another league on a team that's not that great. But it's, yeah, I'd prefer probably FBS just because there's only two options, FCS. Utah Tech is moving up. Under Southern Utah, there's a whack trying to bring football. They want to be FBS at some point, but I don't know how realistic that that would be to get a team that's in between Vegas and Logan. That's whatever. I'm fascinated by this, Jeremy. Are teams in the AAC looking to leave and make like a parallel jump to the Mountain West? I think that's really the question that people are mm-hmm. kind of wondering. Probably not, but I'm like, why not try? 
like go go show your work and try to get get shot down publicly. Why why it's like hey, I tried to get this team, I tried to get this team, and then they have them tell you no. Then Craig Thompson being Eeyore saying before he beats Gonzaga a couple years ago, I guess we're not doing this. And it's like go down hard, try big. If they say no, well look, we tried. That's the like what's the problem with showing showing what you can do and say hey, we want you, you and you make a case for it. And they say no, okay, that's fine. But then it's better than being behind doors like oh, we're getting these schools that FCS schools are. Teams that are three and nine, whatever, like Texas State, which is not very good. It's like try show you're working hard and make a big swing. If you, who knows, like you never know unless you ask. What do you have coming up uh, on MountainWestWire.com? Uh, we'll try to finagle and uh, put my string, my Charlie Day strings on the board to who's going to win the title game or get there because there's a couple interesting things out west. So we got that going on. Um, a little bit of hoop stuff happening this week, but mostly check out our podcast as well, Mountain West Wire. Do that. We we're going to preview this week, but mostly previews for what's going on with Week Eleven going on because we got six games, all conference matchups, and we'll probably learn quite a bit of who's where. A couple teams are getting close to bowl eligibility, so stuff like that. So it, it's a grind for the season. Just look for the previews, man. That's what we got going on. See who you want. See who you care for in your area. There's always some connection, right? <laughs> I like it. Good stuff, Jeremy. Appreciate you giving us the lowdown as always. I uh, look forward to the next time we get to bring you on and talk about more BS rumors. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See ya. Jeremy Moss, as we keep things moving here, 19 pass. Let's go to Charlie and get this traffic update, and then we'll come back for our final 40 minutes of sports talk right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. UTEP Zay, who's now producing the show with Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. You want to get in, we'd love to hear from you. Anything on your mind, this is the time to do it. Taking a look at um, our NFL picks last week with Lane uh, versus Megan. Yeah, you know, they they went head-to-head on a bunch of games. And unfortunately for Megan, uh, just uh, not what she would have wanted. She had the Saints. Lane had the Ravens. She had the Cardinals. Lane had the Seahawks. She had the Falcons. Lane had the Chargers. The only game that Lane lost when they differed, she had the Jets and Lane had the Bills. Wow, really? Yeah, go and, figure. You know, uh, hey, Lane's on a little bit of a, a nice streak. I know he lost to YYS, but that was his only loss in, you know, I would say probably like a month. Like, he, wow. he was on a nice little, uh, he's, I think, what, three of the last four he's taken? Well, listen to this. Listen to this, this week. So, he goes 0-1 on the Bills game, right? Bills-Jets. Then he's 1-1 because he takes the Chargers. Two and one because he takes the Dolphins. Three and one because he takes the Bengals. Three and two because he takes the Packers. Four and two takes the Patriots. Five and two he takes the Vikings. Six and two gets the Jaguars to come back. Seven and two with the Seahawks. Eight and two with the Bucks. Nine and two with the Chiefs. Ten and two with the Ravens. That is a terrific week. Ten and two for Lane this week against Megan. Good stuff, Lane. Hey, I wonder if he could bring it again another week. Uh, the NFL season's really heating up, but he's catching his stride. I, I, I like this uh, this output that we've received from him. Ten and two, you can't go wrong with that. That's uh, that's that's really solid. Megan did fine, eight and four, but it was those uh, those those two losses that uh, she had when she differed with Lane that ends up being the difference on this one. So, congrats to both of them. And by the way, Adrian, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, guess who went nine out of ten this week? Oh, you did in the I, Sun Bowl uh, picks. I know, I I know. We've been all really good lately. Uh, just just to pat all of ourselves on the back here, we've all uh, had some nice outputs. But uh, 
Lane Frank went 8 out of 10. I went 8 out of 10. Bernie goes 7 out of 10. And you're, you go 9 out of 10. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I felt good. Felt good this past week. I thought it was an easy week to pick, to be honest. I really did. But, you know, listen, I'm trying to get a little distance right now. Like I have, I've got a game on Bernie, and now I think I've got two on you. Yeah, maybe three on me too. I mean, like I, I chose Wake Forest. I thought they'd beat NC State. That didn't happen. And Syracuse blowing it against Pitt. Oh, like, come on, I I, those are the two that I lost. And yeah, very frustrating week. No, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. So we'll do that uh, tomorrow when Bernie joins us with another celebrity picking games at five o'clock in our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Oil Changer Studios here on the program. Excited about that. 26 past the hour as we continue. Uh, unfortunately for El Paso High, their volleyball season came to an end a little while ago, and uh, they ran into uh, was just a, uh, a terrific opponent. That's the best way to put it. Um, Abilene ends up winning the first set, losing the second set, and then winning the third set 25-17, the fourth set 25-21 to send El Paso home. Zay, you follow volleyball. You tell me how good was uh, El Paso High this season when you really look at their volleyball success prior to the loss to uh, Abilene? Oh, yeah. I thought they were probably uh, the second-best team in the city behind Coronado, who also got eliminated earlier. So, rough end for them. They had a really good run. They went undefeated in district. Um, Yeah, they have a good program over there. Very good. Historic program. And do you think that uh, could you see El Paso High and Coronado continuing their success again in volleyball next year as well? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They have they have some really good young pieces. You know they're gonna lose a few uh, big time leaders on that team, but there's nothing to be worried about. You know it's a consistent winner. How about your uh, how about your uh, school right now? How are they doing? Rebuilding year. Okay, <laughs> it's the best way to put it. Rebuilding, huh? Hopefully they're uh, turning it around before you graduate. Hopefully. What do you have? You have two more years after this year. Yeah, two uh, more there's years. time, right? Yeah. They can they can they can make it happen. Yeah, hopefully I want I want to go see some some good volleyball games. Uh, I don't blame you. Now, people don't realize this, by the way, since uh, you are uh, in high school, but you join us regularly on the show, Zay. Um, you follow all sports, don't you? You know, you're versed on volleyball for high school, but as much as you talk UTEP, uh, you also have a passion for high school sports, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I love mostly all all high school sports. I like to be well versed in all of them, and you know, because they're all fun to watch. I mean, high oh, school yeah. sports are amazing they are they really are um and you know what else more than anything else besides just uh, you know the fun part about high school i don't know why but you almost feel like those athletes when they go out and not to say that college and pro don't give you everything that they have but there's just something special something kind of pure about high school sports oh yeah yeah everybody's just going out there doing their best they want you know these guys want to go next level i mean these are the this is you get to see people who love the sport in its purest form, and it's just it's awesome to watch. I'm with you on that one. As we approach the bottom of the hour here on Sports Talk, before we get to Adrian and Sports Center, hey folks, uh, again, if you are looking to buy or sell your home, there are so many people out there that you can go with. But you know what? You need to go with a proven winner, and you need to go with a team that gets it done. 